Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We are so glad you're with us. We're a Bible-based church from Ontario, Canada, and together we're on a mission to reach people far from Christ and see them become devoted followers of Him. Well, I guess you could call this a one-off. This service, uh, it wasn't canceled. This service on Sunday was meant for the people of our church who are volunteers. They make church happen. And one thing that's important that needs to be mentioned is uh, the staff team doesn't make the church. The people in the church make the church. We work together collectively to reach people far from Christ and help them become devoted followers of Him. You know, this is, this is about alignment. When Jesus said He would build His church, what exactly did He have in mind? He wasn't talking about buildings or programs or money, anything like that. He was talking about making disciples. So in this message today, uh, Pastor Nate's gonna dis- gonna talk about uh, how we discover what a disciple is and how we go about becoming one. So with that, let's turn over to Pastor Nate, and uh, this message is called "The Making of a Disciple." Enjoy. Good morning, everyone, and welcome. My name is Nathan, and I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here at Pathway Church. Today, if, you, if you're not already aware, today we are online only, and so I'm recording this message a few days in advance to share with you a message that I really think is important and timely for us as we head into the fall, into a new ministry season. Uh, fall is a new ministry season because uh, small groups uh, get connected and new relationships are formed, uh, young adults, uh, youth, uh, kids ministry, everything kind of uh, restarts, and new relationships are formed, and so much growth and ministry happens uh, beginning in September through the rest of the school year. And so we're excited as a staff, we've been working hard to prepare, and today we're online only because we're using the church facility to have all of our volunteers. So those people in, the, in, uh, in our church, as part of Pathway Church, who serve, you know, physically on a Sunday. And so we're having all of them here so we, we can pray together, we can be encouraged. Uh, we're going to sort of kick off the year together, get all of our training done, and be ready to minister uh, to you and to uh, our community at large. And so super, super excited, so glad that you're joining us. If you're a guest with us, uh, I'm going to be sharing a message in just a moment that I hope will be helpful to you, that will not only um, challenge you, but inspire you to take steps in the direction of Jesus. Well, we're doing all of this because we want to be a healthy church. And I, I've said this before, but it's worth saying again, the health of a church, you could say the size of a church, because healthy things grow, uh, you could say the impact or reach of a church is not determined by, and the first thing I have is buildings. Now that may seem odd, because if you've been following with us, you know that we, we have property, and right now we are constructing a building, a future home for a church. But I have to keep reminding myself and reminding our church family that a building is simply a tool for the ministry that God has called us to. It is not the reason why we exist. And so we need to keep that in our forefront as we work on this building and fund it and finish it. But uh, the church is not determined by a building. You know this because all around Canada, there are churches that have big empty buildings, big pipe organs, stained glass window, moving lights, big sound systems, and almost no one is using them. No ministry is happening. So uh, the health of a church is not determined by buildings. Secondly, we would say that the health of a church is not determined by um, money. Okay, it's not determined by money. 
although money is a tool and we definitely need money to fund everything we do, money is not the sole reason why the church exists. It's not the way that the church grows and becomes healthy. Uh, So money is not it. Even though we need it, it's a tool. It's a part of ministry. Uh, Thirdly, I would say uh, social programs. What often happens as churches begin to dwindle, they begin to lose life, they begin turning to social programs. They go, what, what can we do with our facilities? What can we do with our people and resources? And they go, hey, let's, um, let's you know, start community programs and events. And all that is wonderful. I think it's amazing when churches uh, interact with the community and offer programs and help people and do you know, community gardens. All those things are wonderful. But none of these things are specifically what Jesus had in mind when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So if Jesus isn't aimed at building these things, if his focus is on something else, then the question we have to ask ourselves is how is Jesus building his church? When Jesus thinks about building the church, what's he thinking about? He's not thinking about buildings. He's not thinking about money or social programs. What is he thinking about? And the answer to this is so simple. It's going to blow you away, okay? When Jesus says he's building his church, he's thinking primarily about this, making disciples. Making disciples. That is what Jesus is talking about. Let me, let me ask you a question. If, if you had one hour to spend with your closest friends, family, loved ones, before uh, leaving them forever, what would you say to them? Well, how would you use that time? My guess is, that you would say the thing that is most important, that you would give clear direction and let them know you love them and all of those things. That's what you would do in your final moments. And what we're going to look at today is what we call the Great Commission. And in Matthew 28, Jesus is standing with his disciples on the top of a mountain and he is about to ascend into heaven, never to see them again in their lifetime. And what's he going to do in these final moments? He's going to give them words of direction and words of encouragement. He's going to give them their marching orders for how they are to move forward with this thing that, they, that he had started and they had followed him for over three years. And here are the words of Jesus in Matthew 28. Many of you will know them. They'll be familiar. He says, go therefore. First thing we need to notice, man, when we're talking about the church and following Jesus, like the command to go is front and center. It, we are not supposed to be sitting around waiting for good things to happen. We are supposed to go and bring the kingdom of God to the world, bring heaven to earth. That's our job. So we go and he says, make disciples, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk a little bit more about this later. Baptism is the first step of becoming a disciple of Jesus. Like, I'm following him. So he says, go make disciples, baptize people. That's what I want you to do. And then he says this. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, there is so much loaded into this one statement that I want to take a little bit of time today. And uh, what I want to do as we, as we look at this is I want to take some time to sort of pull out what it actually means to teach and observe all that Jesus has commanded. The title of my message today is super simple. The making of a disciple. If Jesus wants us to go out and make disciples, what does that even mean? So before we can talk about how to make disciples, we need to talk about what is a disciple. And this is a great question. Because we hear the word disciple and maybe you think of pastors or preachers or church leaders and certainly all those people should be disciples, but 
when we ask what is a disciple, the actual sort of the best English translation we have for the words that are used in the New Testament would read something like this. A student, a learner, an apprentice. Now, I like the word apprentice best, and here's why. Because when we think of students and learners, we think about modern education. Now, I'm not here to to criticize or comment on modern education, but I'll say there's a significant difference in the last hundred years to what happened in the ancient world. Uh, for example, our students today have, you know, four different classes each semester, and they have four different teachers who all teach different subjects. And each semester they have different teachers. And so through the course of like just high school, you might have 20 or 30 different teachers. In the ancient world, that's not how people learn. When you were a little kid, you might have been appointed a tutor or a scholar, someone who would literally walk with you through most of your adolescent life to help you learn not only mathematics and writing, but like life skills. And they would literally train an apprentice. So it was a very different, very different model, which is why I love the apprentice model. Because I think even in our modern context, every single one of us knows, at least in part, what an apprenticeship looks like. I got a little image here to show you. Uh, if you go to Wikipedia and you look up apprentice, this is the image that you'll find on the page. And here you have this older man who is a shoemaker. And we have this, this younger boy, this adolescent here, who is, is working away on some part of a shoe And you can just sort of see this image of the older bringing along the younger, and he's being trained in the art of shoemaking, okay? This is an image of what discipleship is supposed to look like. The apprenticeship model uh, can be defined like this. Maybe some of you have heard it uh, said this way. The apprenticeship model goes like this. I do, you watch. So you think about the shoemaker, he's building the shoe, and the new apprentice is just watching what he does, the workflow, how he uses the tools So I do it, you watch. Next, what happens is, uh, I do it, you help. So you're getting your hands dirty, you're learning to use the tools, you're helping to glue the shoe together, you're doing a piece of the project. Eventually, though, you want to progress to the next stage, which is, you do it, I help. So the person who's being apprenticed now is doing the work, and the master, the one who's training, is actually helping them to do it. And then finally, the person being apprenticed does all the work And the person training them, discipling them, is watching over their shoulder, commenting, giving them feedback, helping them to master their craft. And of course, there should be one extra level on here. I couldn't fit it on my screen, which is you do, somebody else watches. And so for me as a pastor, I I don't want our church to get stuck here. Everyone comes to church, watches me teach the Bible goes, oh, that's helpful, but doesn't do anything with it, isn't teaching anyone else, isn't progressing in their faith. This is what I don't want. I want every person to be moving forward. This is what it means to be a disciple, which, by the way, no, I haven't heard anybody complain, but perhaps there's, there's some folks who are part of our church, and maybe you're at home today, and you're like, I can't believe they shut down the church to train volunteers. Can I tell you something? What we're doing with volunteers, and they're not just volunteers, they're actually part of our church, And they're all in a discipleship process. And we know that because they're not just hearing, but they're doing. And the fact that we're all together training, providing feedback, praying, and preparing to serve the church. Actually, what we're doing today, this Sunday, is actually in some ways more church than what we do every Sunday. So, man, this is what I want for every person and so what I want to do is I want you to, I want you to take a look at this image. I'm going I'm to kind of blow it up and put it on the full screen for you. 
Uh, there, you should be able to see the image uh, as I'm talking about it. Now, what do you notice about this image? I mean, look at, look, at the, look at the older man who's apprenticing the younger man. What do you see? Do you notice that he's, he's doing his work, but he's actually focused on the one he's training? And the trainee is learning his skills and working with. There's, there's so much that we could draw uh, from this particular image, isn't there? Now, what you might see as you're looking at this, um, what you might see uh, is, uh, as you look at this, you might see um, child labor laws being broken. <laughs> that, that thought crossed my mind. Because, I mean, you look at it, and you've got this young guy who's actually working away with the older guy. And uh, he's working away with this older guy. And, uh, you know, you might think to yourself, well, this, this old guy is actually just using this kid for free labor. Uh, that's, that's a pretty skeptical view. In fact, some people, they'll come into church... And they actually believe that when, we, when I stand up here as a pastor and I say, hey, I want you to give financially. I want you to serve the other people in this church. Get down on the floor with a kid. Welcome somebody at the door. Make coffee for someone. Pray for someone. That when I'm asking you to contribute something, that I'm trying to get something out of you. As if it comes back to me. That's craziness. See, the older man who's apprenticing the younger doesn't want something from the younger man. He wants something for him. And I think we all understand what that feels like. Like as parents, when we tell our kids and require things of them, it's because we want them to grow to maturity. We want them to become something. And that when, we, when I'm asking something of you as our church, I want something for you. I don't want something from you, okay? And that's so powerful because sometimes, again, we just think that it's all about getting something. In fact, I have here Paul's words in Acts 20. And here he just sort of, he just sort of demystifies this whole thing. He says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands, my hands, okay, they ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. Paul says, here's how I lived amongst you. I took care of myself and others. <laughs> you know how my calloused hands have worked to help you. He goes on. He says, in all things I have shown you. He's living his life as a model for those in the early church to follow. He says that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. Paul's actually explaining the fact that when we call ourselves disciples, followers of Jesus, you can't be a disciple of Jesus and not work hard. You, you cannot call yourself a spiritually mature person and not contribute. That's craziness. Paul's like, man, like a parent in the faith, I have shown you that by working hard, we must help the weak. We care for those around us. We lift up the needy. We lift up the weak. We help others. That's what Christians do. That's what disciples do. He finishes by saying this, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is, let's say it with me, more blessed to give than to receive. Paul actually says, at the end of the day, it's for your benefit. Man, when I tell my kids that they should serve, it, it's not because I want something from them. It's because I know that it is more blessed to give than to receive. I know that when my kids learn to be generous people with their time, money, resources, with their heart, in their relationships, when they become more generous, they're blessed. And they bless everyone around them. I want something for my kids. I want something for you, not just something from you. Here's our image of our... Um, apprenticeship process i just wrote this down disciple this is the disciple and this is the one who's doing the discipling now in reality each and every one of us is intended to be a disciple of jesus we're to follow him he's the one we look to 
However, since Jesus isn't walking around the room with us, the person who's discipling us is often someone who's more mature in the faith, a mentor, a pastor, a friend, a parent, someone who is further ahead than you, who can watch over your shoulder and provide feedback in your life. So this is the model. This is what Jesus called us to do, to make disciples. So the question I wanted to spend a bit of time on today is this. How is a disciple made? I like watching those shows. Like on YouTube, they have videos about how things are made. This week, I was watching one about chocolate. So I don't know if you've ever seen a chocolate, a cacao plant, but it's like this. this big fruit, and when you crack it open, it's full of like slime and like wet, soggy seeds. And they, they kind of separate the, the seeds from the pulp. It's nasty. And they spread it all out in the sun until it dries. And then they have to ship it somewhere else. And then those beans are roasted. And then the beans have to be processed and the fat and oil have to be, and like it just keeps going, going, going. And we just like open up the candy bar and eat the chocolate. And we go, ooh, it's so good, as if it grew on a tree. But there's this huge process. And then I stumbled onto a video about how hot dogs are made and chicken nuggets. Do not watch that, okay? I'll just say that. But how is a disciple made? What is the process of making a disciple? I think we get an indication of how disciples made when we look at the great commandment of Jesus. He says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is the first step in the discipleship process, not the last. That's where we start. Talk a bit more about that later. Okay, and and again, here's where I want to stop. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is a significant portion of the process of becoming a disciple. So making a disciple requires biblical literacy and obedience. It requires biblical literacy and obedience. Biblical literacy means you know, as a follower of Jesus, what Jesus said. You know what he taught. You know what the Bible teaches. You, you understand what the Bible says about how you're to behave. You know what it says about how you're to treat other people. You know what it says about how you're to forgive. It, you know what it says about how you're to live your life, spend your time and money. Biblical literacy is about knowing what the Bible says, what Jesus taught. But secondly, it has to also be paired with obedience. Okay? Uh, sometimes I think we know what the Bible says because we've sat in enough church services. Right? So we have this, we're convinced, we know what it says, but we are not committed to obedience. And I'll tell you, that is the toughest part. Is It's like dieting. Everyone's convinced. They know what they should do, but it requires a commitment to actually do it. Are you with me? And the same thing is true about discipleship. We need biblical literacy. We need to know what the Bible says and then obey it. Two things. Number one, I am surprised how many people in church for decades... And they don't know what the Bible teaches about certain things. It, it blows my mind. Uh, so we need to be reading the Bible. We need to be studying. We need to be listening to good teaching, good doctrine, and establishing. Our, if we're going to be an apprentice of Jesus, we should know what he said. Secondly, and this is the tougher part, obedience to what he said. We have to actually decide to do what Jesus told us to do. I remember when I was a young man, uh, I just completed Bible college. And uh, I got my first real job, and I was making decent money. I had two jobs, and I was paying off a bit of debt. I was purchasing a car. I was saving up for an engagement ring for my wife, Jessica. And I was just like going, I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to achieve my goals. And all of a sudden, I was reading the Bible because if you want to know how God's going to talk to you, 
Open up his word. And I was reading it. I don't I couldn't tell you what verse I read or where it was. But as I was reading it, I was reminded. That I'm supposed to put God first with my finances, that the first and best of what I have, this is a principle throughout the Bible, belongs to God. And that when I take and acknowledge that all this income I'm earning, all of the education that I had received from the government, from the Bible college, all this stuff, like all the stuff I'd received, that I'm now earning income and that the first fruit of that belongs to God. And I had been trained to be a pastor. I knew what the Bible said about giving, but I wasn't practicing it. I knew it. I was literate, but I wasn't obedient. And I remember looking at my budget and going, whoa, like if I give the first 10% of my income back to God, I won't achieve my goals in the time that I have set out. And I just remember wrestling with it. And I thought, well, if I achieve all my goals, but I'm not honoring my master, what good is that? And I wrestled and wrestled. And then I began to change my behavior. Obedience is the hardest part. Man, every single person in this church is going to open up the Bible and something in there is going to offend you. Something is going to offend you culturally. Something is going to offend you. God is going to speak to you about your lifestyle, about your attitude, about a behavior, about an addiction. And he's going to like, hey, I want you to change that. And it's not enough just to know you have to be obedient. And the Holy Spirit will, will literally impress and prick your heart until you move in obedience to him. Because that's what it means to follow Jesus, okay? So we read the Bible for transformation, not just information. And I could go on and on. I remember, I, I was, you know, even as a Bible college graduate, I remember thinking to myself, oh, okay, tithing. Well, that's kind of an Old Testament thing. 10% goes to God. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do it the New Testament way. And I opened up the New Testament and I said, what did Jesus say about giving? And I, I found a verse that said, if you have two coats and there's someone in need, give them your other coat. And I thought, that's 50%. I'm going to stick with the Old Testament. I'll start there, right? So again, it, it, we got to be students of the Bible, but also willing to obey and listen to them. And again, this is true of everything in our lives. So biblical literacy and obedience. This is my goal for every person in our church. I can't force you to obey the scriptures. I can invite you to follow Jesus. And you need to know what he says, and you need to be willing to obey it. And that's a difficult and lengthy process, but this is the process of becoming like our master, becoming a disciple, an apprentice of Jesus. Number two, living in relationship with others. I got to take a bit of time for this. Um, When I think about how Jesus did ministry when he was on this earth, he didn't build any buildings. He didn't do big fundraising things, although he did collect money and he did preach in buildings sometimes. Um, Jesus actually spent three and a half years doing one thing and one thing alone, training disciples. He had three, Peter, James, and John, and then 12, it was another nine, so the, the inner circle of 12, and then he had another 70 to 72 total disciples, and he literally spent three and a half years investing his life in them. And he would pull away from the crowds and the needs of everyone else. And he would teach his disciples. Sometimes he'd let crowds listen in as he taught his disciples. He sent his disciples out to practice the things he had been teaching them, right? The you do, I watch. And then he would give them feedback and teach them when they came back. And this, this went on and on. So he's building his discipleship team and he's investing in them. And they are living in relationship with one another. Peter, James, and John not only lived with Jesus and watched him do life, watched how he treated people, watched how he taught and learned, but they also banged into each other as they said silly things, as they got in each other's way, as they got angry. And what happens is when we live in relationship with others, okay, 
We're part of a family, the family of God, and we, we like family members, we rub each other the wrong way, and it's all part of our development. I would say this, this is actually uh, true, isolation makes you weird, okay, you know this, if, you, if you've seen the movie Castaway, right, he just about loses his mind, and he's crying over his volleyball, Wilson, right, it does, it makes you weird, and it's easy, it's easy to sit at home, and be isolated from a relationship, and think, I'm growing in my faith. Until you try to do something with someone else and they rub you the wrong way and you realize you actually haven't dealt with your anger. You've just been avoiding conflict. And we need to be in relationship with others. We grow in relationship with others. And so this is why it's so important to serve together, to be in community and small groups together because people will correct us. Well, I have my family for that. No, your family is so tired of fighting with you about the way you are that they've given up. And so your rough edges are just getting rougher and nobody wants to deal with it. But when you start to do relationship with others, (laughs) God will use other people to shape your character. This is true. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. You need iron to sharpen iron. Wood doesn't sharpen iron. Iron would just chop the wood up to pieces. You need two strong items, iron and iron, to sharpen the other. And when you do that, it's hard, it's difficult, it's painful. And this is what we need. We need strong people in our lives who will call us on our junk. Here's a question. Is there anyone in your life who can call you on your junk? Uh, It was recently by, I'm trying to remember where I was, I think it was a river, and I saw all this river rock. I'm sure you've seen it. They're like, all the stones are round and all rubbed off. And that's because those rocks have been in the water, vibrating and rubbing against each other. And God will use other people to rub off your rough edges. He'll use other people to develop your character. You know, when you pray and you say, God, help me, give me patience. God sends annoying people to rub off your impatience. When you pray to God, like, God, please use me. He sends needy people into your life. And then you start pouring into them and you're like, God, I feel used. And he's like, I know, you asked for that, right? He's rubbing the rough edges off. When you pray for wisdom, God will send you situations and difficulties that you can't manage. So you'll need to grow in wisdom and trust in God to get through it. God will use other people to shape your character. Are there people in your life that are helping you shape your character? If not, you're missing out on the discipleship process. Here's another one. Um, Disciples are willing to be under authority. Now, let me state for the record, I don't want to be in charge of everybody, okay? But all of us need to be under authority. You cannot be over someone else in authority without being also under authority. We all have to learn how to take constructive feedback. We all need to be able to be corrected. And I'm telling you, in this age of individualism, it's easy to come to church, take what you like, leave the stuff you don't like, Nobody knows you. Nobody knows your issues. Nobody can actually call you on your junk. There's nobody in your life that can actually come and say, hey, you claim to be a Christian, but you are totally, you're lying, you're stealing, you're doing this, you're doing that. And this is against what you're claiming to believe. Is there anyone in your life who you trust enough who can come in? This is why discipleship is the model, not just teaching. Okay, because we need mentors. Every coach, I don't care if you're an NHL player, Olympic athlete, every high-level athlete has coaches. And those coaches have the right to say, your form is bad. We need to work on this. You need to stop and rest. Someone in your life, and I, don't, I would say that we're not truly disciples unless we have people in our life who can call us on it, who can correct us. It's not fun. 
It's how we grow. And the goal is to become disciples of Jesus. Here's the last one, and I'll wrap it up here. The last point I want to make about becoming a disciple is this. Living in relationship with Jesus. Here's, here's how the Great Commission ends, and, and then I'm going to talk about why this is so important. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. So, biblical literacy and obedience. And behold, he says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, Jesus says, I'm with you, because here's the thing. This process of discipleship is about Jesus. Being a Christian isn't like a set of beliefs. Everybody thinks Christianity is like a set of morals. And there are Christian morals, but we don't enforce Christian morals because everyone should be Christian moral people. We actually, we have Christian morals because we love Jesus. And he says, don't do that. And we go, okay, I'm not going to do that because I trust that you know best. And I trust that you want something good for me. And when I violate your commands, I'm hurting myself and others. So I'm going to trust you and I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to do it your way instead of my way. Okay. Are you doing it for you or are you doing it for him? I I wrote this down. Um, I'm not here today because I thought to myself, oh, I'd love to give up my career and my business and lead a bunch of people for all this money. Like that was never the thought. (laughs) There's There's other things I could be doing. I'm here because I believe God called me to be a pastor. And as a pastor, my primary job, as we're discovering today, is to make disciples, to help each and every one of you from wherever you are to grow in your faith, to go from, from you do and I watch, and that's where so many people are, and I want to see you go to, to, to you do and I help. So you're getting involved. You're beginning to put legs to your faith. That's what I want to see. Uh, I'm here, and I hope you are too, because I love Jesus. I hope that you don't give, volunteer, serve, pray for others, show up and feed the hungry. I hope you don't do all that stuff because you feel like you're supposed to. I hope you do it because you love Jesus. That's why I hope you do it. When Jesus left, he's like, hey, I want you to go out and make disciples. And as you go, you're going to serve, love, give, and sacrifice, and even give your lives for me. And Jesus actually invites every single one of us to do the same thing. That if we begin this process of apprenticeship, this process of becoming a disciple, we actually, we actually start, and as we take steps in his direction, we become more like him. And Jesus actually invites every single one of us, this may be a surprise to you, to give Love, serve, sacrifice, and even give your lives. And you're like, man, give him my life. Yeah, and Jesus says it's only when you give your life that you find it. So why are you doing it? Again, I I hope people aren't serving, giving, doing stuff here in our church because they're trying to impress me or because it's expected of them. I hope you do it because you love Jesus. And if you're new to this whole thing, you're like, love Jesus. Yeah, my hope and prayer for every person is that you would grow to love Jesus more that you'd want to know him, that everything that you do as a Christian would not be out of duty or morals, but you would do it because you love Jesus and you want to please him. And you actually believe that what he says is best and that he wants something good for you. And that's why you do it. Lastly, I just want to show you uh, back at the beginning of our text, it says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And I mentioned this earlier. Baptism is the first step. If you're here today and you've been water baptized, that was a public statement that says, I'm beginning the process of discipleship. When you get baptized, you're saying to the other people in the church that you attend that, hey, I am a disciple of Jesus 
and I'm starting this process and I need your help. And I need a mentor and I'm going to grow and I'm moving in Jesus's direction. And if you're here today and you're like, man, I'm just beginning my faith journey. I don't, I'm not, I haven't dealt with all my stuff yet. Let me tell you something. Baptism is the first step, not the final step. You get baptized. And when you get baptized, when you're immersed in water, what it says is, I am a disciple of Jesus. I'm following him. And I'm beginning that process here within this faith community and wherever God leads you. And so today, as we, as we wrap up, I want to encourage each and every person here in our church. I want to remind you and encourage you that, that we are not called just to be Christians, whatever that means. Each of us is called to be a disciple of Jesus. It means that we need to be biblically literate. Opening this book, knowing what it says. We also need to be obedient, willing to change, not for the church, not to fit in with your small group, to change for Jesus. And not only are we willing to change our behaviors, our attitudes, our character, the way we spend our time and money for Jesus, but that we would also be living in community with others, allowing our character to be shaped. And ultimately that we would become more like the one who gave his life for us and that we'd be willing to sacrifice, give, share what we have with others. This is what Jesus wanted for his church and he wants for each and every one of us. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning, for every person listening to the sound of my voice as our church gathers online. I know that there are so many people, and uh, God, you know every situation, and you know the limitations. Some people are, are too far away to, to do some of the things they want to do. Some are unable because of their health. And God, I pray that as we listen to this, your spirit would guide us into what our next step is as a disciple. Lord, there's something you want us to do. There's something that you want us to move on, and I pray that you would reveal that to us by your Spirit, and that we would have the faith to trust you enough, to be obedient enough to take a step in that direction and trust you with what comes next. Thank you for our church family. Thanks for all that you're doing. And as we prepare for this fall season, we pray that you would move in our church, that you would stir hearts and bring many to faith, and that we as a congregation would grow as disciples of you and impact our community and the world for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, that's it from us. Thank you so much for joining. Please stay connected with us. Be sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's Pathway Church PTBO. Hey, God is at work in this world, and we feel so blessed that we get to be a part of what he is doing. Have a great day wherever you're at, and we hope to see you soon.